Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Tom Hasn podcast. If this is your first time here, then welcome. Do us a favor and hit the like and subscribe button so you never have to miss an episode again. Because this is the podcast that brings to life the stories and the struggles of athletes and those in other disciplines of life and discover the journey that they've been on to get where they are today. Today's episode is an absolute belter and you can expect to hear things like this. There's an art to this thing. And I tell everybody, just for putting up for Richard Williams for four years, I should be in the Hall of Fame just for that. If you're going to be thinking of anything other than knock that person out and run for every ball and die like it's your last breath and compete, don't play the tournament because I don't even want to hear that nonsense. A month ago, I just met with Corey Goff. You know, Coco's forehand's a little shaky. It can be a weapon, but it's a liability. Her serve's a weapon, but it's a liability. So for one hour, I'm going, what in God's name am I doing in Compton, California? There was like a rage. There was something inside these two little girls. I'm telling you, I never saw before. And I still haven't seen it to this day. Not only can these two girls, can they be number one in the world? They can transcend the sport. The moral of the story, game, set, match, Richard Williams, because we all won. When I started this podcast, I hoped that conversations I enjoy having with people in the sporting world could be shared with you, the listeners. But I never imagined so early on I would be able to have such a conversation with one of the legends of the game. This person has coached five world number ones, including Andy Roddick, Maria Sharapova and the Williams sisters. In the coaching world, he really is one of the greats and has shaped so many coaching philosophies. Over his career, he's seen it all. If you've watched King Richard, you might have a feel for the type of character he is. But this is a true insight. So if you want to hear about how you can develop two of the greatest players of all time, then please sit back relax and enjoy listening to Rick Macy on the Tom Hasen podcast. Rick, welcome to the podcast. No, it's just glad to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun. If, if you got the question, I got the answer. So we'll go for it. Awesome. I, I really appreciate you being here. I know you're still coaching about 50 hours on court. You've the, the release of the film's blown up. Serena's retired. I mean, you're, you're in the spotlight, Rick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, I was always busy even before the movie, yeah. you know, and then obviously there was an uptick. There's an uptick about, uh, you know, after the movie, you know, a lot of podcasts and just a lot of interviews and stuff like that. But uh, no, I still teach 50 hours a week, seven days. I open up the park every day at 530. At yeah. this stage, I'm like, I'm, I'm a park ranger. I'm going to put that on the my resume, I open up the park and uh, I'm on the court every day at six o'clock. But yeah. then uh, now you add another layer with Serena retiring. You know, I've just been doing a lot of stuff uh, in the afternoon when I'm available. But uh, hey, it's 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 all good because if you love it, it's not like you're doing any work. That's it. I mean, I'd, I've listened and read a lot of your stuff and watched a lot of this stuff. You're morning daily routine like starts like the start of a joke i wake up at 3 30 a.m run half a mile you know how how have you sort of got into this this mindset and these kind of daily routines yeah well first off good question uh it's actually changed 
I, I get up now at three o'clock. I don't know, you know, and people say, when you go to bed, I say usually eight or nine, but no, I, I've just done that for like 25, 30 years. And, you know, I just, I just want to be, get going, you know, and yeah. uh, the minute I don't even have an alarm, I haven't had an alarm, you know, ever. I just bang, I just wake up and my cat's right there beside me and I don't lay in bed. I just get up and I'm ready to go. It's just, uh, uh, I don't really think about it, you know, and, uh, I got my routine. I kind of eat the same thing. I do the same thing and run a half mile and uh, then go do what I got to do. And, um, you know, if you love it and you're locked in and, um, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't really think about it. It just works for me. Yeah. You know, maybe other people, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, people say, why don't you take a vacation? I don't, I, if I took a vacation, I couldn't wait to get back. So I'm that type of guy. And I've kind of been that way uh, my whole life. And, you know, I tell people, even with the way I teach, you know, because people ask me all the time, who's my favorite student of all time, you know, and I tell them that's easy. And they're expecting some blockbuster answer. It's really who's ever on the other side of the net, that hour, that minute, that yeah. second. And that comes across in the way I do things. And I think that's one of the reasons why, knock on wood, I'm still going strong. And uh, I'm teaching like, yeah, just as much as I ever have. And, taking a lot more pictures and a few more autographs, but at the end of the day, everything's great. Things have changed a lot around, but I just keep my eye on the ball and everything's perfect. Brilliant. I'd love for you to kind of take us back to, to the probably the formative years and, and how a racket ended up in your hand in the first place. Um, and if you, you know, you said you've always kind of been this way and if there's anything yeah. you think might have led to that being the case. Yeah, you know, I just uh, find something because there's going to be a documentary, you know, about my life. Everybody has a story. Yeah. But, uh, you know, going back down memory lane, I, I grew up in a small town, Greenville, Ohio, uh, 10,000 people. There were six tennis courts chipped up, steel nets, no windscreen. Um, this was, you know, long ago. I actually played golf when I was little. Yeah. My parents were both county, my parents were both county champions. Yeah. Um, when I was like 10 years old, uh, my dad passed away. So it was just me, my mom and my sister. Uh, we really couldn't afford to join the country club. So at age 12, I picked up a racket. We lived in a park. This is crazy. We lived in a like a park was like uh, the football field was down the street, tennis court, swimming pool and a, a real nice park. So I went down there one day uh, and I hit the tennis ball against the wall. And I, I really, I really liked it because it kept coming back and I liked the sound of it. And, uh, you know, I just fell in love with the game. And back then, you know, especially where I grew up, there wasn't really anybody that played or whatever. I was self-taught. I never had a lesson. Here I am today. I teach more lessons than anybody in the United States. That's a crazy thing in itself. Um, by age 18, I was number one in the Ohio Valley, you know, and I never had a lesson. And, uh, you know, beat up a few guys around three, 400 in the world because I got pretty good. I was very mentally strong. Sometimes when you don't have it given to you, that cuts the other way and can make you, you know, as a brutal competitor, uh, very good in basketball and tennis. I'm in the Hall of Fame in my hometown for that, but just love sports. But I've always been wired. Uh, you know, I, I really can't sit still. I got to always do stuff. I've always been a leader. You know, I would, uh, wake my friends up at seven o'clock 
uh, put the football game together or the basketball game. They would always get mad at me because I'd get them up early on a Saturday. I've always been kind of that way, you know, a leader and a motivator, and just kind of, you know, one to take the shot at the end of the game type of guy. So I think a lot of those qualities, plus growing up in the Midwest, you know, um, and obviously my mom, you know, uh, treating others more uh, or doing things for others more than yourself and caring and giving, um, you know, a lot of those things have stuck with me. And I think that came loud and clear in the movie when people kind of saw Bernthal, how he played me. And I've always kind of been that way. But I, I, I get people to do things, you know, and I just keep going. I'm relentless, you know, very analytical about how to uh, get things done. So that starts at an early age. I've never really changed. The platform that I've been on has changed through the years. But I'm pretty much the same guy in Greenville, Ohio, when I first picked up that racket. Um, and still like to help anybody, anytime, anywhere. Amazing. Do you yeah. think that that being self-taught is how you kind of picked up maybe some of your own kind of methods? It, it worked for you against the wall and, and you started to kind of put these pieces of a jigsaw together for yourself and that ultimately has actually helped you moving down the line? Well, you know, I never look back. You know, I always look forward. I don't look in the rearview mirror, but but when I do look back, because I've had to a lot doing all these interviews and podcasts and, you know, hundreds of millions of people saw what I did for Venus and Serena, you know, people know where, that we changed history. So a lot of people want to know kind of about me a little bit. Yeah. And but how I grew up. Um, on the flip side, if I'd had amazing instruction, who knows where that could have went? Yeah. I was self-taught, you know. Use a T2000, had the same haircut as Jimmy Connors. So that's something in common with Connors back then. No, but seriously, I think doing it on your own, I didn't know any other way. You know, I would ride my bike, you know, six miles across town just to play baseball, you know, and you do things on your own and you just, nothing was given to me. Mm. But I think that's really helped my teaching because I look at it from a mental point of view of being, you know, I know being a great competitor is the greatest gift any coach can give a kid. So I got that inside of me, but, um, but I also have the genuineness and how to say it, when to say it, why to say it. And I, I've just studied this stuff and I've always tried to get better. You know, I got better today, you know, teaching whoever I taught. And I've always looked at it that way instead of, you know, maybe petting yourself on the back for all the accolades I've gotten or, Hall of Fames and all that stuff. That's all good. I'm just trying to get better, you know, and the the fact that I've always been that way. Okay. Then with the structure and the, and the discipline, um, it, it's worked for me. Yeah. It probably doesn't work for a lot of other people, but how I had to do it, you know, I drive 60 miles when I got really good just to play a match, yeah. you know, that's one way. So at the end of the day, um, I wouldn't trade anything forever because here we are. I've always been very driven uh, type of person, yeah. uh, whether it be on a tennis court or, you know, basketball coach or maybe on Wall Street. But tennis has been my stage. And uh, I tell her, if I don't really change strokes, I really change lives. And that's meant the most to me above everything. Brilliant. You said you said a couple of times not given having something not given to you often kind of fuels the fire a little bit more. Can Do you see that in players that walk through the gates of 
the Rick Macy Tennis Academy as well. And is there anyone that springs to mind when you do? Um, well, I don't see it as much these days. Sure. I see it a little bit more in the Eastern Europeans. You know, they're, it's a little bit different with them. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I'm throwing a net over all the Americans, but there's a little more entitlement. You know, parents are different. They don't understand. I mean, it's crazy. The, the parents end up coaching me, and I'm sitting there going, what's wrong with this movie? You know what I mean? It, it gets to be crazy, you know? And I we can talk about that later. But no, and, you know, I just try to communicate with the parents and explain how this works. And sometimes you got to be careful with being too honest. But that's what I loved about Richard Williams. You know, not only is what I saw in Venus and Serena under the hood, and I took this big chance, you know, I just, he got it. And we were kind of cut from the same cloth. He was from the other side of the tracks, a little different than me, but he got it. And I could say and do whatever because yes. he knew he knew the playbook. And a lot of people don't know that unless maybe they played in the NFL or Major League Baseball or soccer or they played, did the Olympics or they, they were a high-level athlete. Those parents kind of get it a little more and I know I can go deeper, but some of them I got to walk, you know, before I start really going for the jugular on some stuff, you know what I mean? Because yeah. if I'm too honest, you know, they don't want to hear the honesty, but they want you to help their kid. So yeah, at the end of the day, I don't see it as much as I used to, uh, but I do see it more from kids from other countries. Sure. How do you toe that line with parents? It's, uh, it's the most difficult thing, you know? Um, it, it doesn't matter. And then you got to remember if I have six girls that are top 20 in the nation, um, you know, you got to treat them all the same, even though they're all different. And if you give one three cookies and another one four, it's like, where's my other cookie? I'm going, well, hey, you got three. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. This, yeah. They get caught up in the wrong thing. They take their eye off the ball. But this is what I do probably better than anybody in the world. You know, how to say it, why to say it, when to say it, when to send them a text, when to send them an emoji, you know, how to keep my hands on this. There's an art to this thing. And yeah. I tell everybody, listen, just for putting up for Richard Williams for four years, I should be in the Hall of Fame just for that. You know, no, <laughs> just, just kidding. But I love the guy because he was all about life lessons. And I know how he was as a dad, even though if I said left, he would say right sometimes where you got to have a certain demeanor. Yeah. to be able to handle that type of person. And then before him, I had Stefano Capriotti. And that wasn't that wasn't easy at all either. But this is kind of my upbringing. And I got more patience than anybody. And having the ability to keep your mouth shut is probably one of the best qualities uh, any teacher, any teacher or coach could uh, could have. Sorry about that. That's so good. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a big thing. You can't always say what you want to say. And that's a skill. You know, <laughs> I've learned every skill under the sun. Trust me, you have no idea. You know, when to you can I can I can tell how a parent's thinking before something even happens, especially on a Monday if the kid lost on the weekend or, you know, if they won or whatever. You, you know, I, I just I can feel this. You know, my all my daughters think I'm psychic, you know, not psycho, psychic, you know, they, they might think that also. But I just I can feel things, you yeah. know, and I, I can feel that on the tennis court. It's been my living room. No one's been on a tennis court since age 22, more than myself in the whole world. 
and I know where I can watch Serena play a match. I know where she's going to hit the ball before she hits it. I can just sit there and go boom, boom. You know, I and and this is how I explain anticipation and and feeling the temperature when I get into the coaching, especially with the higher level players. So at the end of the day, it's you know what I do is very very different. It's a smorgasbord. It's a medley of the mental part, the strategic, the biomechanics that Dr. Brian Gordon and I put together long ago that kind of revolutionized a little bit how people teach and how to say it and uh, how to keep it simple. The art of communication is really the key to coaching, but it's not really how much you know, because there's probably a lot of smart guys out there and they don't know how to coach. You know what I mean? It's dealing with everybody differently. I know I didn't really, I answered the question plus a few more, but I think that's invaluable stuff if any other coaches or parents are watching this. No, I absolutely love it. I guess the next question is because a lot of coaches will be listening and going, God, I, I wish I, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, said a lot, you can teach a forehand, you can teach a serve, but it is the softer skills that really, you know, make the difference. How do you, you said your, your earlier years, maybe this came from, how do you and how did you learn this stuff other than spending time on the court or yeah. was it just that? Yeah, I probably, I probably read more stuff back in the day than anybody, even in high school, you know, I'd have tennis magazine inside my history book. You know, so I, I would like, and I was just like, because I, when you're self-taught, you know, you're like, just, you're just putting it in there. When you write things down, even now, people should write things down. I tell the kids, write it down, look at it every day, yeah. whether they don't bend their knees. I said, write it down, put it on your door, put it on the ceiling, on the refrigerator, bend your knees and just become subliminal. So I think repeating it and plus i've always been a very as you probably figured out a very positive guy and i yeah. always look at things differently um it, i just i learned my own you know not i never it wasn't from anybody no one taught me you know and uh the biggest influence on my life was probably dr jim lair who in 1980 uh, when i went to greenleaf golf and tennis resort uh he was there and we did a lot of things together with corporations mind and performance and it was right in my wheelhouse because I was very mentally strong. You know what I mean? Because uh, I, I, I had to do things on my own and I just never made excuses. And a lot of the things that he was showing executives or then he eventually got into tennis, I could relate to, you know, slowing the ball down in your mind and flipping things in your mind. And I was really intrigued. So about three years uh, doing a lot of stuff with Jim was probably powerful but from a technical point of view uh nobody until really 12 years ago when brian gordon um which is later in my career um he was blown away about how kind i knew biomechanics and i never really had you know, i didn't have a phd or i didn't do my thesis on it or anything like that but i vote and he, he wondered how when I demonstrate and explain things, did I watch a lot of stuff? Because I was, I was explaining it without seeing it at 500 frames a second. And I was understanding it, you know, the kinetic chain and stuff like that. And I didn't study it a lot. Mm. I studied people and I always wanted to figure it out. So when you have that mentality as a coach, I tell people, you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So a lot of people, they have success. They reach the mountaintop. They think they're great, pat themselves on the back. 
and that's not me, you know, and, you know, I give, and so what I've learned with Ryan, um, the reason why we made such a great team, he backed it up with the science, which is kind of undisputable. Yeah. I could explain it in a way, like I'm talking to you, and this is what I do on the court with analogies and sayings and rhymes and all this stuff. Yeah. Where people, I can expedite the learning curve. I can reprogram the muscle memory and retrain the, uh, you know, the reflexes. And I can reverse engineer this stuff. And I can solve problems so quickly if someone has a technical flaw, especially adults. They're blown away. They've been doing stuff for 40 years. And they come and take one lesson. They're going, this is scary stuff. Because I can change their elbow and explain it. And they learn more in one hour than all these lessons. And this is what I do technically. Yeah. And I do this with a, a lot of actually females on their serve on the tour. I'm not going to get into the name because um, a lot of them serve incorrectly, even mm -hmm. though if you do 10 million of anything, it's going to work. So I know I'm kind of getting off here a little bit, but I'm still learning. I want to get better. I think for any young coaches watching this, if Rick Macy feels that way and, you know, and I still pick up garbage when I see it, I answer the phone. You know, I do all the little things because all yeah. these coaches have to understand the little things make the biggest difference and they gotta you gotta keep getting better and you know don't get ahead of yourself because in the blink of an eye it could all change it's brilliant so so valuable how does someone that has acquired so much knowledge coach so many of the world's best players hall of famers how do you keep on acquiring more knowledge and, and becoming more skillful and becoming more well-rounded in, in that respect. Yeah. I think, you know, if you're not learning in any profession, you're not living, yeah. you know, I mean, people come all shapes and sizes, different genetics, you know, different background. And I just, I learn from everybody, you know, the science part, you know, I, I still study and I look at, you know, so many things at 400 frames a second, uh, but it's not cloning. Yeah. It's not one size fits all. Every coach has to understand when someone comes to you, unless it's two years old, they have issues, whether it be grips, back swings, and their muscle memory. It's like baked in extra crispy, and it's hard <laughs> to change this stuff. So yeah. people just say, well, I'll just let them hit it anyway. And I tell everybody, listen, here's what happens at 15. Your elbow's too close. Shorten your back swing. Hit it in front. You're opening up too soon. And they go, have you been at one of my lessons? But I say this, I already know what the coaches told them yeah. or what is going to tell them. And a lot of people that don't understand the biomechanical part of uh, tennis or sport, I get it because they might be intimidated. And if you don't, if you don't, if you're intimidated, like by analytics or, you know, all this new stuff that's coming out, the first thing you do is, ah, oh, I don't, you don't need that stuff, you know? And you see some famous coaches out there on the internet they just say i'll oh, relax and hit the ball in front you know and I, hey that's a great tip i mean what is that so and it's probably ruined more people so what i'm saying is i always try to get better i get better every day um and if you love it you're always on high alert and you got to love to help others more than yourself and people feel that when it's they don't take a lesson from me it's an experience that's what everybody says and uh so you know, nothing was given to me. I did everything through the front door. Um, you know, it has nothing to do with Tommy Ho, the youngest ever at 15 to win the 18s. 
a record from 88 that still stands today. He was my first. And then Capriati came at 12 years old. She won the 18s, which is insane. That record still stands today. From that, you know, Richard Williams calls me. But listen, you got to deliver. Mm. You know, I, you, I, you know, and here we are. That all started in 1985. And here we are, 2022. And, you know, I'm still like near the top and still one of the leaders in the clubhouse. And I love it just as much. And everything has happened in between the good, the bad, the ugly. I learned from everything. It's not a straight line, you yeah. know? And so it's worked for Rick Macy. That doesn't mean what I do works for everybody. All I know is I treat others better than myself. I get back to everybody within 24 hours. I answer my phone personally. I still pick up the balls, okay? And I treat everybody like my own, but the knowledge that comes out and the way that I say it. And that's why many coaches, they come down and I certify coaches. They can be here for a day, two days, three days, four. They come and sit on the court with me. And it doesn't matter, even Jay Berger, who was Olympic coach, or national coach who coaches Riley Opelka, a good friend of mine, he's blown away. You know, that's why, you know, he's the best guy in the world at, at doing this. He's blown away just because I'm dealing with the parents and I'm teaching an 80-year-old guy who's number one in the nation. Then I got the number one 12-year-old. Then I got a girl who's 200 in the world who's, you know, whatever. Uh, it's, it's crazy. It's back to back to back to back. And it's a medley of stuff of how I do the mental, the technical, and I feel the temperature. I don't have it written down. Here's what we're going to do today. 54 hands crossed. I've never been that type of guy. I feel it. I react. Okay. And that's how I put Humpty Dumpty together. And I've been able to expedite the learning curve, I think, better than anybody who's taught the game of tennis. Brilliant. So, so much good stuff in there. I think one thing that it sounds like to me when you, you've got all this stuff going on and I feel like in, in the arena, in the sporting arena, people strive for what's been labeled as like flow. And it sounds to me as like, that's exactly what you're in on a daily basis, just from player to player. Here we go. Next thing. And you're just flowing all day, every day. And that's, that's a perfect place to be in. Right. Absolutely. You know, and that's why people like I put it right out there. I teach privates. I yeah. probably taught 2,500 hours last year of private lessons. I know that's incredible, you know, <laughs> and why? Because people want it. Yeah. You know, I don't go court to court. I, to me, that's nonsense. Get your racket back. Keep your head still. Bend your knees. More topspin. Aim higher. Hit flatter. They're not getting the best of Rick Macy. I have so much to offer someone in an hour or 30 minutes. And I let the customer decide that they're, they're telling me what works through my whole career. This is what I've done. So I'm able to tell you, this is what works for me. I mean, you know, to go out there and, you know, people in the blink of an eye, you know, to pay $800 for a tennis lesson is a lot of money, but to them, it's worth every penny the people that do this because of what they're getting, unless obviously they can't afford it. Then I have two guys, two people with me that have been with me 10 years. That's unheard of in this business. And yeah. they know the methodology. So, and they sing the same song. So at the end of the day, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just flowing and, you know, I, I like it. I can't wait to get on the court. And people say like, well, wait a minute, 
it's 100 degrees out here. It's on a hard court, okay? It's like probably 110. They, doesn't the heat bother you? You can see I'm in my office in my house and I got a hoodie on. I've been outside for so long since age 22. I'm like a lizard. I'm like a lizard. I'm like, I, I, I the heat doesn't bother me. I don't like it when it's like 70 and cool. Mm. Everybody's going, this is amazing. And I'm going, this is freezing. I'm out there in sweats. So you train your mind, yeah. you know? And another thing for any young coaches, don't make excuses. Uh, don't argue with the parents. Uh, you're not going to win because there's always someone down the block that's going to take your place. Yeah. yeah. No, good stuff. I want to I wanna quote you here because I think this it, it lends itself to something that you were talking about when you, when you were talking about coaching. And this is one for coaches, I guess. I treat the cause, not the symptom. And it sounds to me like what you were saying there is a lot of symptomatic coaching that goes on, whereas it's it's got to be a little bit deeper than that to get to the real cause of the issue. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Absolutely. First off, great question. Now you're you're going you're going kind of to the dark side here <laughs> about stuff. And I'm sure when I was when I was a younger guy, you know, I saw what I saw. Yeah. And obviously one of my famous quotes now is what you may see is different than Rick may see. Okay. So that's uh people got that now because everything in life is in the eye of the beholder. And, you know, people will tell you, you know, do this, do that, you know, keep your head still, uh, your follow through should go there. The follow through, let me just tell you, other than to prevent injury, we're going to get into teaching now, other than prevent <laughs> injury, the follow through has nothing to do with anything. You know, the ball hits a racket, the ball's gone. The follow through, it will make you feel like you're going to a target, but the follow through has nothing to do with it. I'm sure you'll get a lot of pushback on that. It's a corrective technique to get more spin or hit it flatter. We can talk about that later, but it, it's to prevent injury more than anything. So when I say the culprit, people don't understand the origin. Uh, probably 95% of the gals on the tour, they serve incorrectly. Mm -hmm. But if you do 10 million of anything, it's going to work. But the leg drive doesn't initiate the racket at the right time. But most travel coaches don't understand this. Most coaches don't understand it. The serve is really messed up, you know, um, especially for a lot of young girls because they're not strong. They don't really learn the right way. And I'm not saying there's a wrong way or right way, but there's a better way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people, if you don't understand biomechanics, and you're not intrigued by it, uh, you're not going to understand the culprit. You know, they're looking at what we call the symptom, you know, and what that's what I do. I tell people exactly what's going on. Okay. It could be mental. Hey, you might, you, maybe you're too calm. Maybe you're tight in the scapula and your right hips coming around too soon. And they're saying, well, the coach told me to bring my right hip around. I said, but it's too early. It's coming around because you're tight, you know, and I could go on and on with a thousand things like this. Uh, you know, maybe someone on the volley, I got to have them go this way. And the next person, I got to have them go that way. You know, so it's, yeah. it depends on what they're bringing to the table. And then I explain it. And then I got a whole smorgasbord, a whole buffet. Okay, <laughs> that didn't work next. So I just keep knocking on the door till it works for that person. Mm -hmm. And how I explain it to a six-year-old is going to be different than the number one 14 year old boy in the country or to a 22 year old girl who's 180 on the women's tour. You know, so I talked to everybody different. Uh, 
and this is the art of coaching, when to say it, how to say it, why to say it. But yeah, most people tell people a symptom yeah. and then they change the symptom and the person hits it over in spite of everything. And they think that corrected the problem until next week, the same thing happens again. So, yeah. uh, and that's the trick. That's really what I do from a technical point of view. Um, from a strategic point of view, I try to build a game around someone's assets. You know, like I tried to help Sharapova when I had her or Jennifer or obviously Venus and Serena. I try to take advantage of their strengths, try to hide their assets, build their game around their genetic base. There's an art to this. I tell people I'd rather, you know, put the cake in the oven, bake it, ice it a little bit. I have no interest in sitting in the box. If they wanted me to go sit in the box, uh, that's fine. That's never what I wanted to do. And yeah. I've had many of those opportunities. Uh, I'd rather build the box. Uh, <laughs> but if Serena texts me and says, you want to come and sit in the box for maybe her last match, I'll probably go to the open. But no, at the end of the day, it's this is a big thing you talked about. People don't understand the origin or the root cause or the culprit. It could be psychological. You know, we could all say hey, it's your mind or it's your feet. You know, no kid calls me up and says, I go, how'd you do in the tournament? They always go to three big ticket items. They talk about their serve or their forehand or their backhand. They never say, Rick, my brain didn't work or my feet were bad. They never do that. And listen, you, you miss a lot of balls on the tour because you're in the wrong position or you miss a lot of shots because maybe it wasn't the best shot. And maybe you miss a lot of shots because you just choke, but they're not going to say that on ESPN. Oh, she missed it because she gagged, you know? They're not going to tell really why, but you and I can see, oh, that looked a little tight. You can yeah. best, you can see that, you know? And they might say, oh, the, the ball speeds went down 15, you know, miles an hour or whatever, and that's a sign usually attention. So what I'm saying is the question you ask is huge, but I probably didn't know that, you know, 25 years ago either. So it's a very tricky thing. But when people come and spend time with me, okay, well, even if it's one day, they're blown away and they get this, they're, they're just blown away of what I do. It's not just um, the educational part. It's how to explain it, why to say it, when to do it, and how to correct the problem. And if I don't solve it, I go the next one, the next one, the next one. I always try to figure it out. And that comes what Rick Macy expects of Rick Macy. You know, that's just yeah. what I expect of me. You know, I still feel I got to get better. So that's just, uh, that's a thing between me and me. And hopefully a lot of coaches can pick up on that. Cause I think that's a great quality. Definitely. And I think now that's obviously touched on for the coaches now for players I and players and maybe even parents, let's say you find the cause and of, of the issue and then you you're really getting into it but it can these things can sometimes you know like we said habits are hard to break how what sort of skills can a player have that will help them to ingrain this new technique that they've struggled with yeah another great question you know i think people got to understand you know everybody wants help but then when you help them and you make a big change let's say a vanilla change, like a grip. That's going to take a while to get used to that. Yeah. People don't want to see the ball go in the net or, you know, Hit take off fence. over the fence or whatever. <laughs> and then a day later, they wanted your help, but now they don't want to switch it. You see this all the time, or you change the elbow position or the take back. Um, 
and they want help. You give them the help. They change. It doesn't work. You know, it takes a long time to build a house. You don't put yeah. in the windows and the carpet first. It's brick by brick. It's just my career. You know, I took the stairs. I didn't take the escalator. You know, I didn't play Wimbledon. You know, no one gave me a lot of money to push this thing along. And yeah. by that, all my yesterdays led to today talking to you. And people have to understand it takes time to change things. And um, that's what people have to understand. Muscle memory is brutal. You know, it's so baked in and it's hard to change habits. But this is what I do. I start from the beginning. I change this thing very differently because when you start from the beginning, the middle and the end can autocorrect. And people, the key word is patience. You got to have patience, but you also got to make sure the message is correct. You know, the coach might get more impatient than the student because they're not doing the result. And you might have to fail to mm. succeed, especially if you have a tournament in two weeks. Yeah. You know, someone came in here. Uh, she's the number one 16-year-old in the world. She's Czech. I think she can be top 10 in the world. Uh, she's with a management company. We represent like 12 people. And uh, I looked at her, her and her coach, and I showed her stuff on the serve. And big picture, her coach was blown away. But she didn't want any part of it because she has to play U.S. Open qualifying this weekend. I respect that. And I'm glad she had a backbone. That's a little different because she's already established player. But young kids, the technical part at a young age is critical that you get mm -hmm. great coaching. Unfortunately, people throw a lot of kids on a court. They hit balls. I, they have fun. I'm all for that. But you don't want bad habits that are just so hard to break. I've seen it cost people uh, millions, not hundreds, millions of dollars by a bad grip or a crazy backswing. You get away with this nonsense in the 12 and 14s. But the one thing, like any other sport, the game gets faster. And in tennis, the technical part can have a big impact if you got a crazy grip or a crazy backswing. Because now at 16, 18 in college, you know, return of serves important. The game's so much faster, uh, you know, than even 10 years ago. It's advanced pinball. So the technical part in tennis, to me, is a premium, and it's very much overlooked. So having great mechanics, and that's why a lot of the stuff I put out there is free. It's a lot of stuff that Brian Gordon and I put out there for free. Uh, and it's all backed up by science, you know, the, how to hit the forehand. And I think even young people should hit it. And the blowback is, oh, you're going to get hurt. It's only for the guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. I got six-year-old girls that can hit the ATP forehand. And, uh, you know, one of them now is 12 and won the Nationals. The kid that won the 14 Nationals. I coached him since four years old, Darwin Blanche, ATP forehand, great mechanics on the serve. Once again, like Cohen Capriotti at 14, youngest ever to win the 16 at Kalamazoo. No, okay. people got, you know, they, when you turn on your TV set, that didn't happen yesterday. Yeah. You know, that stroke. And yeah. on the flip side, a month ago, I just met with Corey Goff. You know, Coco's forehand's a little shaky. It can be a weapon, but it's a liability. Her right. serves a weapon, but it's a liability. You know, she had 18 double faults in the last match. So you don't think all those yesterdays, uh, she was getting the wrong information. You know, she's a great athlete, great warrior. Her backhand's money in the bank. Yeah, She can volley well for her age, number one in the world in doubles, but she could dominate 
you know, if she had fetters forehand or if she had fetters served biomechanically. So hopefully when there's some downtime, who knows where that's going to go. But this is what I'm saying. Uh, and I know I talk like very much global, mm -hmm. but that's why when I work with young kids, people that visit, they can almost say that kid's here all the time or that kid lives here. That kid's visiting, you know, because they have a helicopter that goes back to Afghanistan or wherever the backswing goes. So uh, you can tell I'm still fired up and uh, I'm usually on the court at this time. So I'm, I'm giving everybody that listens, uh, listens a lesson. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. I think that's such a good point because players and yeah, juniors with, with aspiration, they're competing a lot and they and then they find it hard to separate that kind of oh you know i need to work on this technical thing i've got a match at the weekend i don't want to lose this isn't like not even this is like regional standard not just national standard this happens yeah. so it's and it's a it's a problem how would you how do you get players to buy into this it's a, it's a huge problem all the parents coaches and kids understand a following a lesson or a clinic or whatever that's when you break it down microscopically every detail you got to talk about everything it can be very analytical. You got to break it down, you know, and that's when you tear it apart in the lesson and you experiment and you go in and out. That's what it's for. But let me make it very clear. When they go to the tournament, they're going to do whatever they want anyways. Trust me on that movie. I've seen that one before. I'm going, wait a minute. Is this the same kid I was teaching three days ago? I, I go, I can't even watch this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, we have a $10,000 tournament every weekend at the facility. And I get to watch the kids because it's right there when I jump off the court. And I'm going, this is brutal. You know, I'm going, who taught those people? I'm going, wait a minute. That was me that's teaching them. So they're going to do whatever they want. But when you go into the match, you don't think about any of this stuff. Your job is to run, sweat, and shut up. That's it. Maybe not in that order for some kids. So that's your job description. Compete. Just compete. Mm -hmm. Don't be thinking about anything that happened on the serve the forehand, the backhand, any of the big ticket items that your coach or whatever you're working on. Because if you're going to do that, don't play the tournament. Yeah. Because you're going to use that as a crutch, you know. And actually a girl told me, she goes, I was thinking about my elbow. I go, no. And some of the smartest people that make all A's and their parents are engineer and they're very analytical, they do this just to the nth degree. Yeah. They overthink it, okay? Even the great fetters, not all in on all in, all these analytics at 40, 30, the guy likes to serve wide 63.9% of the time. By thinking that you might over anticipate and get burned a lot. So you got, it's a tool in the toolbox, a lot of stuff, but to answer your question, it's a great question because if you're going to be thinking of anything other than knock that person out and run for every ball and die, like it's your last breath and compete don't play the tournament because yeah. i don't even want to hear that nonsense that's crazy but that is the biggest thing and if you don't have the ability to forget okay uh you're never going to reach your full potential because that's really the wild card in mental toughness is having the ability to forget um not just losing a point but if you're going into a competition and you're thinking uh, oh i got to keep my arm up and I got to bend and keep my elbow towards the side fence. If you're thinking a lot of this stuff, don't play the tournament because you're not ready to compete. Brilliant. And there's nothing the matter. With it. Listen, if, if I wanted to re, I can almost close down junior tennis. Think about it. And I'm sure you saw the movie. 
Venus didn't play a tournament for three and a half years. Serena didn't for five and a half years. Now, that's not the playbook. And if I was a different dude and I talked a different language and had that, I mean, listen, we changed history. I have two of the greatest players of all time. One that is the greatest and the other one might be number two. I could just say, don't play tournaments, yeah. develop. But you got to remember, they played matches every day. I was with them every day, four hours. There was ballet, boxing, taekwondo. They had the best of the best, an environment that was motivation city on steroids. You got to understand, I'm in there baking the cake because I had a vested interest besides, you know, something financially. So, but that wasn't the reason why I did it. You know, they were like my own daughters. Richard was my best friend. So they didn't even play, but they were brutal, brutal competitors. I saw that when I visited Compton. It's what's under the hood why I took the chance, you know, and they didn't need to, you know, like Roddy, when I had Roddy, his thirst for competition was like no other. So, and I saw that in Sharapova, you know, some people just compete. They're just a dog. They're, they got more of that. Or some people are too nice. So if they were really, really not that good at competitors, they probably would have benefited from playing junior tournaments. People need to compete to learn how to win, win, learn how to fail. I mean, Sophia Kennan was a great competitor, but she played every tournament under the sun. Yeah. Same with Tommy Ho. You know, so I'm not saying it's not one size fits all. There's many ways to the mountaintop. Uh, but you got to, I recommend you compete. So you learn how to fail. And the more you fail, the more you fail, the more you're going to succeed. And you'll figure out a better way to do it next time. And I think from tennis, since it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's one of the best sports ever to prepare you for the game of life. Yeah, brilliant. I think that that's so valuable for, for I think, the players and for parents as, as much as anything, to be honest. Wow, I really hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with coaching legend Rick Macy. I thought there were some really valuable nuggets of information in there for players, parents and coaches. And I really hope that you can feel like you can go away and implement them for yourselves. Rick was so generous with his time that I split this interview into two and you can go ahead and check out part two right now. In that interview, we focus more on the Williams sisters and Rick goes into deep details into his relationship with the family and just how they became two of the all-time greats. Go ahead and check it out now. I'll see you over there.